welcome you today to Weston Park Baptist Church as we continue to travel through the season of Lent, a time for us to reflect on our, on our walking with Christ as we move to the mystery of Easter, the joy of Easter. You know, what is our relationship with Christ like? Are we at a place where we want to be? It's a time to evaluate uh, our own you know, interior space and in our relationship with Jesus. So that's what we're about. And as you know, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark to uh, help us through this season. So uh, with that in mind, uh, this text today in Mark 3 reminds us of three different groups that Christ is interacting with. There's Jesus' family, which is very interesting, and then Jesus' critics, and then Jesus' disciples. So how do these three groups respond to Christ, react to Christ, and then what is our, you know, our own relationship about with him? So that's kind of where we're going in this, this time. So we begin with, uh, uh, I want to show a map actually, and the map, I, I'm not sure how well you see that on screen, but the body of water to the left is the Mediterranean Sea, uh, to the bottom, the long narrow one is the Dead Sea. And then in the top third is the uh, Lake of Galilee. And why I show that is that to the left of that Lake of Galilee, you know, you know on the map, an inch or so over, is the town of Nazareth. You remember Jesus is from Nazareth. So this story tells us that the family of Jesus comes from Nazareth which is a good 60 miles away, uh, over rough terrain, coming perhaps on a donkey or walking. They're making that trip to Capernaum, which is on the Lake of Galilee, to speak with Christ. So that's one movement. And then from the bottom piece, we have the area of Jerusalem to the left, but it's down that direction. And then the teachers of the law or the scribes are traveling all the way from Jerusalem up to the north to Capernaum to meet with Jesus. And then thirdly, the disciples are from all around the Lake of Galilee, so that's from their area. So there's a lot of movement going on. And the movement is about coming to Jesus and then what is our response to him? So you can just kind of keep that in mind. We begin with Jesus' family, so again they are coming um, from the west to meet him. And so I'll read some verses uh, that speak to that. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat, that is, Jesus and his disciples. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has got, gone out of his mind. Notice that. They want to restrain him, they're thinking he has gone out of his mind. And then later on in our text it says, then his mother and his brothers came and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. So that, that's, that's the story and we'll, we'll leave it there for now. So Jesus' family are coming, making this significant journey as I've mentioned and they're coming to see Christ. Now this is not just a family 
uh, hello, okay? They're not making this long trip just to say to Jesus, we miss you and we wish you were back with us, um, you know, just a friendly hi. It's not, it's not that. The word is they want to come to seize him and to restrain him, the NRSV says, to restrain him. So essentially, this is a family intervention. They are thinking that Jesus is unbalanced. The word there, he is out of his mind, can be lose one's mind, be out of one's senses, to be beside oneself. They are coming to try to control Christ. They don't understand his calling. They certainly don't understand that he's the son of God. They don't even really believe that he's a prophet. He is an unbalanced person, an eccentric person. And they're coming to bring him back, if you like, to Nazareth. They, perhaps, you know, the family is getting a, a bad reputation out of this. It's a bad name for the family. Something's going on so that they want to come down and control what Christ is doing. And note, even his mom is here, Mother Mary. So it shows that even Mary, in spite of having an angelic uh, you know, visitation years ago, in spite of all of that, she's still struggling to understand who Christ is and what's going on. So it's, they're coming to deprogram him, in a sense feeling that he's been brainwashed somehow, and they want to bring him back home. So that's, you know, that's, that's the scene, right? So mothers, brothers, sister, they're all concerned about Christ. And so what happens then is that the crowd that are with Jesus, they say, hey, your family's outside. Um, you know, they want to see you. And we can see the words in verse 23, and Jesus' response to them is, let me just get that, okay, sorry. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. That's verse 32. And Jesus' response is, who are my mothers and my brother? Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers, my sisters. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a question here of the family trying to bring him back under control, and Jesus does not appreciate it. And his response is quite bold and quite blunt. Well, you know what? Who are my brother, my brothers and my sisters, and even my mother? Who are they? So even though his family is outside, this is what Jesus is saying. So just as an aside, it does speak about, you know, the, the challenges of hearing God's voice and, and following him, that we can pretty quickly become out of step with others around us who don't get it, who don't believe the same as us, who think we're making bad choices. You know, that, there can be a gap, and that's certainly what's happening here with Jesus. So they want to come and restrain Christ, bring him home. Jesus is saying, I will have nothing to do with that. In fact, are you with me or not? Who are my brothers? Who are my family? So it raises the question for us then, who is the true family of Jesus? Are we the family of Christ? 
Are we brothers and sisters of Christ? The epistles tell us that we are invited to become his family, his brothers, his sisters. Are we that? Or is Jesus still a stranger to us? So you see, in Lent, we're asking these questions to consider our own journey. We can have, have, you know, be associated with Christ for a long time, but maybe we're still a stranger. Maybe we haven't really embraced being part of the family of God, the family of Christ, brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so the first group in this trilogy is the family of Christ. And, you know, it's quite blunt, right? Mark is the one who really kind of pictures this for us. The family don't get it. They hear all these different stories about him and somehow it's upsetting everybody in the family, including Mary, and they want him to come back home. Return to your carpenter's shop. Let's just settle down. And Jesus is saying essentially that that's not why I'm here. You're not getting what my mission is about. And so there's a, you know, they're missing each other. They're out of step. And so Christ challenges. So that's, that's the first story. Are, well, are we then family of Jesus? We want, to, we want to think about that. Or is there an element where Christ is still a stranger to us? Are we part of his true family? Number one. The second group that uh, is introduced here are the scribes again and we note this in verse 22 and you can see this and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said so note the trip from Jerusalem to Capernaum is even longer than Nazareth and the scribes this is this official team they've already made up their mind who Jesus is and they say he has Beelzebul and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons Beelzebul is a is another name for Satan and actually, it's a Canaanite name, and it translates literally, Lord of the Flies. So I don't know if you remember back in your high school days, years ago, you might have studied the book Lord of the Flies. Well, that's, that's the name Beelzebul. The writer knows that. It's a name for Satan. And they are saying, well, you are casting out demons by Satan. And he calls to them and speaks to them in parables, right? So he's trying to, now Jesus is speaking to these religious rulers, and he's saying, well, your logic doesn't make sense. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. So Jesus is saying this can't be. He ends his argument, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed the house can be plundered. So Jesus is speaking to them in parables. And he references Beelzebul as a strong man. And Jesus is saying to cast out demons, we have to first bind the strong man, Satan, and then we can cast out the demons. So for you to charge me with casting out demons while I am serving Satan just doesn't make any sense. We have to bind the strong man. So interesting in our day today with the war that's going on in Ukraine, I mean, many people look at Putin and consider him a strong man. 
Well, you know, perhaps the strong man needs to be bound. And that's kind of the goal, don't you think, in terms of the EU and other nations responding, including Canada, to bind the strong man. But in this story, that's the reference to Satan. So, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, again, who do you think I am? You've already determined that I am on, you know, the devil's side, and you're, you're completely uh, missing it. I serve God, and that's how I'm doing what I'm doing. So when we read this story, we recognize Jesus says Satan is strong. He is the strong man. We're, we're seeing this in this war right now, and not just in the Ukraine, but around the planet. This is war. This is evil. This is hatred. This is injustice, prejudice. This is all the work and the handiwork of Satan working in our world. But we're also told that Jesus has the power and the strength to overcome the strong man. The kingdom of God ultimately is about overthrowing the forces of darkness. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in Ephesians 6. So this is the reality. So, that, you know, there's a, there's a part of us where, you know, as Christians we identify with our culture, try to make a difference. But then there's another side where we are against our culture in the, sense, uh, in the sense of being against the powers of evil. And then thirdly, there's an invitation to transform culture, to be transformative, to be a light, to be salt. It's what we want to do here and have been doing in Weston Park for many, many years, to try to transform the area in a better way, both interiorly and exteriorly. So how are they viewing Jesus? You know, what are, what are they thinking about Christ? And Christ is saying, you're, you're not understanding me at all. You completely misunderstand me. And so that's a second reaction to Jesus, firstly from his family, secondly from the critics. And by the way, there's that end of that, that piece where Jesus speaks very bluntly to them. I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, I say to you, very strong words, verse 28, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Strong language. What Jesus is really saying is when you when you assign God's work to be the devil's work, when you completely resist the kingdom of God so that you identify with the powers of darkness, then you are actually blaspheming not against me, but against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God working in our world. And that is a serious matter, Jesus says. So be careful of how you speak and act and live. Now, by the way, that's not a warning to us that, hey, in our doubt, we may, you know, say things or, you know, or act inconsistently. It's, it's this deeper responding to the work of God and denying it all, resisting it all that Jesus is speaking about here when he's saying blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So there's a reaction then to the critics. And then thirdly, we have the group of disciples um, that we've already read a little bit about or repeated. And the crowd came together again, 
so that they could not even eat. That's the disciples. Jesus and the disciples and whoever else is with him, they can't even have a meal in, in peace. And then later, then his mother and his brothers come and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him or actually NIV says sitting in a circle around him. They said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. Jesus' response, who are my, my mother and my brothers? And now note, here's the new bit. And looking at those who sit, are sitting in a circle around him, who sat around him, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So here's the third group. So here we are traveling through Lent. And Jesus is saying, okay, here, listen up, because this is the group I want you to emulate. So the disciples, and it's a larger group of disciples, seekers are sitting around Jesus in a circle. And Jesus is saying, if you want to understand me, then look to them. And whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister. Whoever's hearing me, and doing my will, hearing and doing this combination, we're going to see that picked up in Mark 4 in the parable of the seeds, hearing and doing. Jesus is already introducing that. Whoever hears and does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now eventually we know that Mary gets this. And so does Jesus' brother James, for sure. And the two of them enter into this deeper dynamic with Christ. They get it. It's evolving. Even with Mary, it's evolving. So maybe there can be some comfort to us if, as we continue to evolve. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And so in this Lenten season, then we're asking, you know, Am I sitting in the circle of disciples around Christ? Have I entered into this circle? Am I listening to his voice? Am I wanting to hear his voice? Am I wanting to identify with him and not just do my own thing, a Lone Ranger attitude? I am part of the circle of Christ, wanting to hear and do his word in our world in this transformative way that we can relate to the world. Note, it's also a very bold statement here because Jesus says such in verse 35, these are my, you are my brothers and sisters. It's a promise given here. If you hear and do, note the will of God, Jesus is saying. He's not saying just do my will, do the will of God. When you do that, you are my brothers and sisters. So it's a promise. So in this Lenten season, we're given a promise. Will we hear and do the will of God? So having heard all that, we have these three groups who are coming to Christ. The fundamental invitation is, will we become part of the new family of Jesus? Will we become part of the true family of Christ? Believers all around the world, will we fully identify with Jesus? And when we do this, there's a cost. It's not an easy road. We can be misunderstood even as Jesus was misunderstood. We can be rejected even as Jesus was rejected. But will we pay the cost because we want to enter and live and be in the true family of Jesus? That's the first point.
And then we notice, notice also that it's a radical community. The nature of discipleship is radical. Last week we said it's not fanatical, but it is radical. It's a life together. It's sitting in a circle together. Not a pyramid of power, but a circle of strength, of listening for God's voice and acting together as a community of faith. Number two. And then finally, it's, it's becoming our true selves. It's, it's becoming who God wants us to be. When God invites us to know and enter into a relationship with him, he's saying, I want you to become your best you to become your true self, let go of the false self, become your true self. And when we follow Jesus and enter into our relationship with him, we are moving along that line and in that road of becoming our true self. As we say no to him and as we say yes to all the ways of the world, we're still playing the world's game. And Jesus is inviting us to step out of the world's parade and to follow him. So may indeed we hear and do the will of God so that we become more and more who God wants us to be. Close with a quote from Alan Cole, fine commentator, and he says, knowledge of God is not abstract and intellectual. It is personal, moral, and empirical. It is not static, but dynamic. I like that. Since he is the living God. Our relationship in Lent is not static, it is dynamic. We relate to the living God. It is thus not an intellectual discovery only, as other knowledge is, but a transforming and life-giving spiritual experience. That's it. Transformative dynamic in relationship with Jesus. So I pray that in this season of Lent, we will open our hearts, open our minds, to want this living dynamic with God, the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, say yes to our triune Godhead and live for him. May that be our response for the glory of God, for his church, in Jesus' name, amen.